Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good to see you all. I have to start out with a couple of congratulations. How many of you, first of all, got to see the Guys and Dolls performance at the middle school? Anybody? It's very good. Some of our very own, uh, Taylor, Zephra, uh, Macy, um, Addie, they're all in the show, and you can still see it tonight. So go see it if you haven't. It was fantastic. Um, and also, I want to say congratulations to the East Hampton girls basketball team for making um, winning state, the state championship, right? So well done. Um, just, it's fun to, just to be proud of, proud of all the fun accomplishments here at Hope. Um, so I'm glad you guys are all here, and if you're joining us online, welcome. We're so glad that you could join us. And we are in the middle of this series called Hungry, and as Tom continues to say, you know, we really, we're going to wrap, wrap up this series soon so you guys can stop, like, sneaking granola bars and things in with you, because I'm sure that we're making you hungry as we, as we talk. But, um, but yes, today we're still in the middle of this series on Hungry, and we've been talking about really... Um, if you look around, if you look at the world around us, you can tell people are hungry for something. You don't have to look beyond Facebook posts to see that people are wrestling, they're struggling, they're trying to make sense of the world, they're trying to find something to give them hope and sustenance in, in dark and difficult and, and um, confusing times, right? And so we've been asking, what does it look like to be filled, to be satisfied? And here at Hope Church, we would tell you that we find that hope and satisfaction in Jesus. And so we've been looking at, if that is true, then what does Jesus offer us? How does he satisfy people? And we've been looking at these different stories of Jesus to see how he interacts with other people and if, if that might be the same way that he would interact with us. Uh, so today I'm going to start with another story about eating. Um, my husband and I, years ago, were invited to a friend's house, and, um, you know, we, at the time, our kids were really young. We did not get out much. Uh, we, we actually still don't get out much, so maybe we got to work on that. I don't know. There's, there's something we're doing wrong. Um, but we were invited to a friend's house in the evening, and so we went, and we drove there, and, and you know, I, I came hungry. And you know when you get to someone's house, and you open the door, and you can just tell that they have been baking all day. And like the crock pot has been roasting and there's this amazing smell. And maybe they've got like homemade bread. And so you open the door and it's like a warm aroma of a hug that just greets you as you walk in. And so when we got to this house and we opened the door, there was no hug aroma. <laughs> there was, there was no, no food smell really at all. And so... I had some apprehension, and I walked in, and, and I looked, and there was a, a lack of, of evidence of really any food out for us. And, you know, I thought, maybe, I started to panic, maybe this is the kind of people that like to do an experience meal. Have you had, like, the places where you go, and they're like, I'm gonna, we're going to make the food while you're here. We're going to, like, roll the sushi together. It's going to be great. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm going to have to call the sitter, and, you know, it's going to take a while. But slowly that panic gave way to a, a different kind of panic as I realized, oh, there would be no food at all. No, no, no. Because this apparently was not a dinner hangout, it was just a, a hangout. 
And I turned to my poor husband because, of course, he probably remembers. Before we left, I said, do not eat anything because we're going to eat there. And I'm sure he was looking at me the whole rest of the evening like, um, I think they, they did, now to their credit, they did offer us, I think there was some coffee, there might have been some kombucha, I don't know, there was beverages of some kind, but nothing that was really sustaining. Um, so we came hungry, and we left hungry. And I know there's some of you in here right now that are so vain, you think this story is about you. Um, I promise it was a long time ago, and it was not anyone here, so you are, do not feel guilt that, that you somehow did not feed us. Um, really, the moral of the story is, if, you're, if, if hunger is on the line, you need to up your communication game. And I could probably end the sermon right there, but I'll keep going. Um, so we came hungry and we left hungry, and it made me think, it makes me wonder, when we look at Jesus and what he did and the way he interacted with people, were there ever any people that came to Jesus hungry and then he didn't feed them? Were there any people who said, man, I'm, I, I came hungry, I came ready to eat, and then were disappointed and maybe found that Jesus could not actually feed them? Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about how, really, I believe that Jesus was not excluding anyone. Everyone that came to him, he was willing to interact with and teach and heal, right, regardless of their background. So I don't think, it, um, this, this message is not about, was God interacting with different people, but, but could all people be filled by Jesus? And if I'm honest, I do think there's a couple kinds of people, if we look at in the Bible, that Jesus interacted with that may have gone away from that encounter with him still hungry, in fact, um, the, the couple people that I would see have the same characteristics, and we're going to look at that today. We can find both of these people in the book of Luke, chapter 18. So if you want to follow along, feel free to turn there now or uh, use your Bible app, whatever you like to do. Um, so I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to read in Luke 18, 9 through 14, and I'm going to let you see if you can figure out um, this kind of person that was not fed by Jesus. Um, so it says this in verse 9. This is the story, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And verse 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up at heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so we have this this story that Jesus tells, this parable, and it starts out with a kind of contrast, right, between two different people. And the Pharisee, the Pharisee, I know we're not talking, we, we did a whole series already on difficult people, but, but he's a difficult person, right? He's that person, have you ever met someone who is just like, they just thought they were God's gift to the world, and they could do no wrong, and everything they did. So here we see this guy who's kind of like, yes, yes, I thank you, thank you, God, that I am not like all these, these the riffraff, you know, that, and that my accent is so superior to... Okay, no, I'll stop right there. Before my, before my accent, it usually like migrates into from, from British to Irish or something, so I'll, I'll spare you. But this guy is clearly like full of himself, right? right? He, he believes that he is righteous and has no need to really repent or apologize. And then in contrast, you have this, this man, this tax collector, who very much recognizes 
the condition of his heart and recognizes that he has done wrong. And I feel like the first line of this story really tells it all, right? The, the, the story is spoken to some who were confident of their own righteousness. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. Jesus, Jesus says to, um, elsewhere, in, in, uh, he says, oh, sorry, Luke 5.32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And this idea of repentance is actually really important. In fact, both John the Baptist, um, who came before Jesus and prepared the way for him, both John and Jesus multiple times would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is near. And so there's some connection between us experiencing the kingdom of God and this idea of repentance. So what is repentance? Repentance. Uh, the definition, if you look it up, it says to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. I would say um, we maybe have a lot of different ideas about what repentance looks like and what that means, but I really think repentance, part of what it is, is acknowledging our hunger. Repentance says, I have tried to fill myself my way and it has failed. I have done things in the process that are not okay, that I've hurt myself and I've hurt other people, and I don't know how to change myself. I've tried. It says, I want to be a better teacher, parent, friend, child, spouse, and I, I don't know how to do that. I can't do it on my own. And so much like the second man in the story, the tax collector, that repentance is this acknowledgement. It's an honest view of our condition in other words, when we repent, we don't act like we're already full. We come empty. We come hungry. And I'll say this again, but sometimes I think in our Christian journey, um, we, we kind of get it in our heads that we're supposed to kind of scrap together all of the righteousness we can get. You know, find our, do our checklist, do all the right things, and come to God and say, I'm holding all these things, and, I, I, and here, will you accept my righteousness? And, and maybe we just want to kind of like sprinkle God's righteousness on top of ours as like a supplement. And God's like, No. No, you've got to come empty. You've got to come recognizing that all of the righteousness that you think you hold is nothing compared to my own. Because did you know this? That when we come to God, when we repent, when we turn to him and we say, okay, I can't do it on my own, God says he actually becomes our righteousness. He becomes our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And the righteousness of Christ is so much more amazing and so much more beautiful than any kind of righteousness we can muster up on our own. It is God saying to us, when you come to me as you are, I see you now, not in light of what you've done, but in light of what my son Jesus has done. I see you as, as I see my perfect son. That kind of righteousness we cannot create on our own. All God asks is that we come hungry, that we don't eat before we get to the feast that he wants to give us because he can fill us. Matthew 5, 6, which is partly what Tom touched on a few weeks ago, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's not the people who think they're already righteous that are, that are thirsting for that, right? It's those of us who know that we are broken and that we desperately need a savior. And so we'll come back to this idea a little bit at the end, but, but notice this, it is not that Jesus was unwilling to feed the Pharisees or the righteous it wasn't that he was unwilling. It was that they did not see the need for Jesus. They did not see their need for him. They would not admit they were hungry. And so the first kind of person that I would say that Jesus did not feed, Jesus did not feed people who were already full of their own righteousness. 
So let's look a little further in Luke and see if there's another kind of person maybe that Jesus did not feed or that would not, would not accept what Jesus had to offer. So we're going to go now to uh, stay in chapter 18. We're going to go to verse 18 through 30. And this is called the rich and the kingdom of God. Maybe you've heard the story. It says, a certain ruler asked him, he's speaking to Jesus. So he asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now I'm going to pause here. Jesus, just in this brief encounter already, has summed up what we already said. Right? This guy kind of comes and is like, okay, what do I, what do I have to do to get into, to get into heaven to, uh, to follow you? And he calls Jesus good, good teacher. And Jesus immediately says, okay, well, why do you, why do you call me good? Because there's only, one, there's only one person that's truly good, and that's God, right? And so he's already, he's already making this point that none of, us, none of us can actually check off our list enough to be as good as God is. Um, but Jesus humors the guy, right? He goes along with it. And so he says in verse 20, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And you probably know, what are those commandments from? From the, the Old Testament, Moses gave the, the Ten Commandments. Yep, so those, Jesus is referring to these, these well-known commandments that, that his, the people that were listening to him would have been familiar with. So he seems to be making this checklist. And, and the guy says, okay, all these I have kept since I was a boy right? You could almost see in his head, he's like, yeah. He's, he's like, I pretty much feel like I'm already a good person, and I just want you to kind of give me your little holy stamp of approval and send me on my way. And here's what Jesus says, which is, throws us for a loop a little bit. In verse 22, he says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so those who heard it asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter, Jesus' disciple, said to Jesus, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left wife or home or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So this is an interesting story, right? The guy comes and again, he kind of, Jesus says this checklist it sounds like. And the guy says, okay, yeah, I did all my checklist. And then it would seem that Jesus is adding another item to the checklist that the guy has somehow missed. Um, and yet, I'm not quite sure that that was what Jesus was doing. In fact, I, I don't think that God demands that all of us literally sell everything we have to follow him. If that were the case, then most of us in here would probably say, oh, I guess I'm, I'm not doing something right. So what is Jesus doing? I, I think that Jesus is actually trying to get at the heart issue here. He's trying to get at the heart condition of this man and maybe we can look at another verse that will give us a little clarity into this passage. Uh, many of you know Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she spoke at one point, she has this, this famous Magnificat where she, it's kind of part song, part prophecy, where she weaves scripture and she pours out her soul and prays to God. And here's one of the things she says in Luke 1, 53. 
She says that God has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, it's an interesting contrast, right? She doesn't say um, he's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the full away empty. She's almost, by comparing hunger and richness, she's kind of making this, this second level comparison. That often, those who are hungry for God are the ones that, that are already empty of the world. The ones that, that maybe feel like they don't have anything to lose. And maybe some of you right now, you feel like you're in that place. You're like, man, I, whether it's financially or whether it is um, emotionally or maybe it's a, a long um, physical journey, illness journey that you've been on and you're like, I just feel like I'm completely empty. But the truth is that sometimes when we are in that place of emptiness, that is precisely when we are in a place to receive from God the most. And in fact, it is sometimes the people who think that they have the most to lose who are already so full of what the world has to offer that they think that they don't need what Jesus has. Sometimes it's those people who miss out. In fact, it's those people, again, it's not that Jesus cannot feed them, it is that they refuse to let go of what they have in order to pick up the far greater thing that Jesus wants to give them. And so, if we look at who Jesus interacted with and the ones that seemed to walk away without taking him up on his offer, we would say it's the people who already thought they had it all. And so Jesus, the second point we see is that Jesus did not feed people who were already full of the world. Or put it another way, Jesus did not feed people who were not willing to trade in what they already had for what God was offering. Either the ones like this rich young man who just wanted to kind of sprinkle some little extra um, bonus self-righteousness, a bonus eternal life on his already perfect resume, or the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders who just didn't think they needed God at all. They didn't have room for the righteousness of God. And the interesting thing about this is um, our response to Jesus, um, I think sometimes we look to Jesus as kind of a supplemental thing, right? How can I just sort of um, add a little more? Add, you know, I, I feel like I'm already doing a pretty good job being a good person and I just want just to have Jesus so I can kind of have a little more security, whatever. And Jesus says this, though. He says, I'm not, I'm not the supplemental way, the bonus truth, and the accessory to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone who comes to me must, must be willing to lay down everything. Must be willing to understand that everything you've been feeding on to this point is garbage compared to what I have for you. So we've seen a couple examples, maybe, of people that did not did not give up to follow Jesus, that maybe felt like they were already too full and they didn't need him. But you may be sitting there thinking, okay, okay, so I'm, I'm following and I'm at the point where I do. I wanna, I wanna follow God. I wanna know what it means to let go of everything. What does that look like? Could we flip this around? What would it look like for us to truly pursue Jesus, to truly take him up on this offer that he wants to give us? I'm glad you asked because Jesus shares a parable, a really short parable, that tells us a, a story of what it really looks like for us to, to give up and follow him. So in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, we see this. It's the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Now that is a lucrative real estate investment, right? 
you're like, it better be worth it. He sold everything he had and bought that field. In verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he sold all he had and bought that field. Or sorry, not bought that field. He bought the the pearl. So these are two examples, right? These are examples of of people, it kind of goes along with what Tom talked about a couple weeks ago, who are looking for, they still haven't found what they're looking for. They've been searching, they've been searching, especially this guy looking for the pearl. He's looked high, he's looked low, and he has not found one. But when he does, when he finds this one pearl, and he's like, there is something about this pearl, and it is worth selling every single thing that I have in order to um, acquire it. And the guy in the, who finds the, the treasure in the field, I don't know how this happens, right? I'm not really sure. That's like our dream, right? Everyone dreams of just walking through a field and like stumbling across this treasure somewhere. And it's like Goonies level proportion of, of treasure. And what does he do? In, in both cases, in both cases, the two men sell every single thing they have to invest in what they believe is far better. And this is why God asks us, when we come to him, he asks us to be willing to give up everything else first. Because emptiness is actually our greatest asset. Emptiness is actually our greatest asset when we come to God. And it's why, again, we sometimes see this connection between the poverty and the kingdom of God. Because, because often when we, when we are at our, um, our lowest points, it's when we recognize our greatest need and sometimes, like I said, when we, when we feel like we have so much wealth in the world or um, we have so many good things right now that it's, sometimes it can be hard for us to recognize our need for God. Um, just as a quick point to illustrate this, um, when I started out the message, I told the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and how Jesus, again, he took care of not just their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. But, but he, he cared for the people and he multiplied the loaves and the fishes for the hungry people that followed him. But in, there's one version of that story in the book of John, I believe, um, that tells us that they got the fish and the loaves from a little boy. So here's the thing, I want to I make a point really quick, is that um, all the people that showed up on that, on that hillside to, to listen to Jesus, they didn't bring their food. They had nothing to lose, right? So the miracle for them was amazing. It was great that they got fed, but the boy who gave his fish and his loaves, he stood to lose, right? And, and if you're like listening to this story and you, and you hear that there's like a crowd of people and there's one boy who's got food and you could almost picture it like a, like a sleazy salesman coming up to the boy like, listen, all you need to do is give us the fish and the loaves and we're going to multiply it and they're going to give us their food and then before you know it, like all of us are going to get multiplication of, of more food and you're like, this is a pyramid scheme. No, don't do it. How is, it's, not, it's not possible for you to give your food and suddenly, like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Do the math, kid. Go back to school. Um, but the, the boy is this beautiful example of faith, right? Because the, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I don't, th- I don't think Jesus was about to, like, force the boy to give him the food, right? I think this boy said, okay, all right, I trust, I believe. And so he gives the fish and he gives the bread. And then what does Jesus do? He multiplies it far more than that boy or anyone else there could have asked or imagined. If Jesus had botched that miracle, the boy would have lost so much. And maybe that's part of us right now. Maybe there's a part of us that comes to Jesus and we're like, really, God? Really, you want me to give you everything? Because in the past, when I've given someone anything, 
Sometimes, sometimes people don't show up for me. Sometimes people don't return what I've poured in. And so we can start to live this life where we're afraid to give, we're afraid to lay down our lives. But Jesus says, listen, I do not give as the world gives. And I guarantee you that there is nothing that you give me that I will not amply supply you with more for your need, that I will not be able to sustain you. Lay down everything you have, and I promise I will fill you to overflowing. So can we be like that boy? Can we be willing to give God everything? And if emptiness and hunger, if letting go is this prerequisite for following Jesus, how do we do that? And if you've been listening to this series and you've been like, okay, all right, I think I'm there. I think I'm ready to at least take the chance, to at least take a chance, a step of faith, and give God, give God my heart, give him my yes, and say, okay, I'm willing to step out and, and take you up on your offer to fill me. What does that look like? And so there's three simple things I want to I share as we close out today. Three things. I think when we want to empty ourselves before God, we need to repent, we need to release, and then we need to repeat. Repent, release, and repeat. This idea of repentance is laying down our righteousness to be filled with the righteousness of Christ. And I, I believe repentance, as much as it can have like this... this um, Again, I think sometimes we have this kind of fire and brimstone view of repentance, but really repentance is, it is acknowledging that God is holy and that we are not, but it is also this turning towards Jesus. It is turning and saying, I choose to orient myself towards you, Jesus, and saying that um, the way that I've been doing things, the, the, the method that I've been seeking satisfaction, it's, it's leaving me empty. And I don't want to do that anymore. And so it's painful sometimes to let go of the way we want to do things and the way we think we should do things and say, okay, God, instead, I want to, I want to do things your way. And it's a turning towards him. And, um, and I, want to, I want to make this point too. Um, I am not telling you today, you might be sitting there thinking, oh man, there's all these things I need to repent of, all these things that I know I'm doing wrong. This message today is not about you figuring out what you need to fix and fixing it. This message is about you laying that thing down and inviting God to fix it inviting God's spirit to change you because he is the only way that we can truly change. He is the only way that we can have the joy and the stamina and the patience and the love to live as he wants us to live. So just lay down that thing. Lay down um, the thing that's hard for you to let go of. Lay it down. Remember that when we come to Christ, emptiness might be our greatest asset because we're coming to him hungry and that is what repentance is. And then that second step is releasing Okay, when we repent, when we turn to God, and when we begin to experience God, I don't know about you, but um, the more I taste God's goodness, the more satisfied I feel in him, and the more satisfied I am in him. And as I become satisfied in Christ, it, it requires me to let go of the world's version of joy and happiness and, and fulfillment, right? And in fact, I would suggest that sometimes... Um, Sometimes after even we've been following God for a while, do you notice that it's, we, can, we can easily kind of shift back to pick up what the world has to offer instead of Jesus? And Jesus says, you've always got to be willing to, to daily lay down those things and let me fill you. And if, you're, if you've been walking with God and you're starting to feel a little dissatisfaction, I would encourage you to let that dissatisfaction, see that as an invitation of God to come back to him. See that a dissatisfaction as an invitation to lay down what is not filling you so that you can take up everything that God has to offer. It means we have to release and let go. And it means we have to release and let go even of good things. You noticed in that passage earlier we shared um, about the, the rich ruler 
who came to Jesus. And afterwards, after Jesus tells this rich ruler, oh, yeah, it's, it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples say, God, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything. And Jesus says, yes, no one who has left sisters or, or brothers or homes or, or family for my sake or for my kingdom will fail to receive much more in this life and in the age to come. Um, I really believe there is something... Um, it can be so hard for us to give up our kids. It can be so hard to give God our, our home, our finances, all these things, right? We want to hold on to them. Uh, but Jesus says, I, I may be calling you to give up something for my kingdom. We, a couple weeks ago, you heard Celeste Sherman share up here her story of, of chronic illness and watching her, her husband go through that and watching herself go through that. And she shared beautifully how they're starting this new ministry now that's birthed out of the pain of their, of, of, of their uh, chronic illness illness of his ALS and her cancer. Um, and so they're, they're creating this place, this safe place, um, serving through the storm, where they can serve other people who have gone through and are going through the same thing they're going through. And that required Celeste and Stu to lay down what was painful and allow God to multiply in a beautiful way the story and the goodness of his kingdom through them. And so maybe you're sitting here right now and God's saying, I need you to let go of a little bit of comfort. I need you to let go of that story you're holding on to and I need you to release it and let me have it because I want to multiply it like the fish and the, and the loaves. I want to multiply your story and that thing you're surrendering to see my kingdom expand and to see others come to me. Or maybe you're someone and you're sitting here and you're like, okay, God's, God's been putting on my heart to, to release some financial comfort because I see that other people are stepping out. I see the Celestes, I see the world vision, I see the, um, the, the, um, the bold hope, the other things that maybe our church is serving. And you're like, God is calling me to let go of something and to invest it in his kingdom. And you may see that as, as a financial risk, but I promise you when you invest in God's kingdom, it is always multiplied. And we may never know this side of heaven how God's gonna do that. So I would encourage you, if you're in this place where you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I can let go of these things, we repent, we keep saying, okay, God, not my way, not my will, but yours, and we keep turning to God and saying, help me to let go of the things that I so easily hold on to because I believe that when I come empty, when I lay down what I have, that you can multiply it. And finally, we repent and we release, but then we have to repeat, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. Tom and I would say this over and over again, but I'm here at Hope, we have a strong emphasis on like coming to God is not a one-time event. Following God is not a one-time event. It is a daily process. And that is why, um, we, again, we, just, we have to keep coming back to God over and over again. And there are gonna be seasons in our life where, where I think we find ourselves shifting, shifting to hold on to the world or shifting and struggling to trust God. And so even, even that's why we come once a week to, to church, I think, just to, to be reminded, to sit in God's presence, to rest in who he is, and it's this beautiful, like, just regular rhythm of grace that reminds us that we will never outgrow our need for God. We will never outgrow our need for his love and his grace. And he reminds us every time we come back to him that he is still, still today, in whatever circumstance or situation we're going through, he is able to fill us and satisfy us. So if you are here and you're, you're wanting to, to, to trust in God and you're wanting to step out in faith or you're feeling maybe today like God is calling you to let go of something specific, I just wanna pray over you and maybe you can pray along with me. And then we're gonna close out today with a song. And I just would encourage you as we, as we sing this song about hunger, being hungry for God, just, just let God's spirit speak to you.
Just sit and listen if you need to or, or, or pray it out as a prayer to God. Recognize your longing for God and then we just invite God to fill that hunger that all of us have for him. So God, I just wanna invite you um, to speak to each person specifically today. Um, I, can, I could talk all day long up here, God, but we came to hear you. We came to hear your voice in our lives. So please speak to people today. And God, for those of us who, who want to follow you for the first time, God, I just would, would ask um, that we just, we just say to you, we're, t- we're done. We're tired of trying. We're tired of trying it on our own. We admit that we are broken and that we are wrong and that we, we cannot be the kind of people we want to be on our own. We repent. And God, we ask you to fill us and lead us into your way. We believe that you died for us, that you died for our sins to forgive us. And we believe that when we turn to you, you fill us with your righteousness. And we thank you for that. And we ask God that when we step out and we say that and we accept you and believe in you, that you would begin to show us what it truly means to let go of everything else and to find satisfaction in you. We love you, God. Amen.